Welcome back to Composer Quest. I'm your host in Minneapolis, Charlie McCarran, and in this show I interview composers, songwriters, producers, and scientists about how to make good music. In today's episode, I talk with the king of royalty-free music, Kevin McLeod. Since deciding to give his music away for free at Incompetech.com, his tracks have been used in literally millions of videos. It's very weird to be me. Because like whenever I go to watch a video on YouTube, it's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's me again, hanging out at the train station. Yep, that's me sitting in the back of a cab. Okay, yep, all right, that's me. Since Kevin works almost exclusively with virtual instruments, we talk a lot about his production techniques and workflow. And I also do a lot of practicing, you know, just doing flute technique on a keyboard, doing clarinet technique on a keyboard, guitar technique on a keyboard. All that and more coming up. Now, a moment to thank my patrons. This week, I have a jingle for my patrons, Bafo Yucks Dudes, the comedy songwriting team of Tom, Al, and Scott. Thanks, dudes. Bafo Yucks Dudes They'll split your side in two with their comedic tunes Tom and Al have met Only once since 1990 But they've made a hundred songs together blindly Buffo Yucks dudes They'll split your side in two with their comedic tunes You can check out Buffo Yucks' songs and comic musings at bafoyux.com that's spelled b-o-f-f-o-y-u-x.com if you want to support the show consider becoming a patron one dollar per episode gets you a shout out on the show two dollars per episode gets you a shout out plus access to a ton of my music and rare demo recordings and three dollars per episode gets you your own custom jingle check it out at patreon.com slash charlie thanks again to all of you who have been donating because you're currently allowing me to pay for my monthly studio rental, which also happens to be my bedroom. One last announcement. We're currently in the middle of our video game jam, and we have over 70 people from six continents making games right now. Since we had so many more composers sign up than game developers, I decided to make a game myself that will feature different composers for each area in the game. We're using beautiful pixel art backgrounds from my friend Will Tice at Untied Games, and each composer chose one piece of art to write music for. We're calling it Pixels at an Exhibition. The music you're hearing right now is from Amy Scuria, which she made for the meadow background. Here's another sneak peek of a soundtrack from Dan Bailey for the futuristic compound background. If you're in Minnesota, come join us for the unveiling at the Gamers Rhapsody Convention on Friday, November 13th at 7pm. Or check out ComposerQuest.com shortly thereafter for a link to all the games. Stick around to the end of the episode for another edition of Charlie's Music Production Lessons. Alright, enough announcements. Let's get on to my talk with Kevin McLeod.
think maybe I'll start with asking about a few of your latest tracks. Okay, sure. One of the one of your more recent ones that I thought was really cool is Quirky Dog. Okay. I don't know if you remember that one. Nope, I got to look all these up, but that's okay. <laughs> I, I can. You, uh, yeah, you, I'm sure you have so many tracks you can't uh, keep them straight. Let's see here. Um, that that one was made for an animation for the opening of Minecon, which is the Minecraft uh, thing in England. Oh, cool! How did your music end up getting so connected to Minecraft videos? <laughs> that's that's not actually for me to say. I think it's people wanted music in their videos, and I make music available. Yeah. So in in Quirky Dog, what was your composition process do you remember it was basically a ripoff of uh the feel of an austin powers piece <laughs> just sort of that cheeky weird thing um with a little bit of uh, escavel thrown in and just had to hit all the comic bits so you know that dictates the the tempo and yeah i i really like in that one the melody and the counter melody just like work really well together I don't know. Hey. I bet which one you came up with first, <laughs> but <laughs> that would be the first one. What do you do when you are feeling uninspired? Oh, uh, that's pretty simple. Um, I just go through all of the projects that I have not yet finished and then see if there's anything glaring that I did wrong or any like new place where I can take something that's partially finished. It's like, ah, now I have an idea for a bridge or now I have an idea for a counter melody. Hmm. Do you have a method to your, I'm sure you do, have a method to cataloging and keeping track of ideas? Uh, yeah. No, I've got, a, I've got a big folder here called Projects. And then in it, there's things uh, labeled from 0 to 10. 0 being just m- maybe a sound or something. Uh, you know, 1, it's like there's, there's something started. There's maybe a melody. You know, by 4, it's mostly done. And then uh, they get down to uh, release level. Do you categorize them by how much you like them too, or nope? Just no. how much? Just how much done they are. Okay. I noticed on your site that you have the nineteen most of anything, like lots yeah. of lists of yeah. 19, 19 most downloaded pieces of music. Right. And uh, the one that struck me was the nineteen most unpopular pieces of music yes can you explain why how you calculate that okay so basically i take the number of times a piece is previewed on my site divided by the number of times it's downloaded so that's somebody who listened to it and said nope 
That happens more often for those than any other, and it's it's a ratio. So some of these will have like three listens and no downloads, and then they get bumped up to the top. Huh. But actually, once they go on the list, they don't stay on the list very long. I've got to update it, but uh... yeah, actually, the one that was most unpopular when I checked rumination, right? Uh, that one I really liked, actually. <laughs> See. <laughs> That's a good method for like getting people to check out stuff that right. hasn't, yeah. And if something stays there for too long, I'll be just like, you know what? I'm not going to muck up my catalog with this thing. Nobody likes it. Uh, I'll take it off the main site and I'll move it into the public domain. Oh, yeah. Freepd.com? Free, free, that? Yes. I was listening to some stuff on there, too, which I, um, some of those were kind of fun, too, like... Um, well, I, I don't know if fun is the right word for this, but uh, the, the music for the funeral home. Oh, yeah, music for funeral home. Yeah, I actually wrote those. <laughs> was it designed for actual funeral homes, or was it for, like, films that yeah. might have a funeral home scene? It was, not, it was not designed for actual funeral homes. I'm sure somebody's got the market cornered there. <laughs> but the problem is, if you're putting together a scene and it's set at a funeral home, where do you find the music for that? I looked, and I'm like, I, I don't know where to get this stuff. So I'm like, well, there's a market there. Small though it may be, I'll, yeah. uh, I'll jump into it. What did you do for research for that? Um, just... I think I just watched, there was like uh, two or three television shows that had scenes, and I just watched those Okay. to get that sort of, they all had that same rough, um, light organ noodling around feel. Are there any other weird niches that you've yeah that don't have good music? Uh, certainly polkas. Nobody's producing polkas. I mean, you know, the EDM to polka ratio is probably uh, hundred thousand to one right now. <laughs> so much so that uh, Jay Mondo, the online licensor of musics, uh, are you familiar with them? Uh, no. Oh, okay. They're one of the bigger ones, and they're like, hey, Oktoberfest is coming up, and we have no polkas in our catalog. We have 400,000 pieces, but we need to get something uh, Oktoberfesty going, and uh, we'd like to use your stuff. And I'm like, okie dokie. Here's you go. Nice. And then I wrote that, meanwhile, in Bavaria, uh, specifically for that. I've 
been thinking about um, since I've I started a mini music library, and uh, I uh, was thinking about like how to balance the music being palatable and kind of in a way forgettable versus like <laughs> um, being actually creative. Yes. Um, I don't know. How do you deal with that? Um, you have to know why you're doing it. If you're doing a scene in uh, like a supernatural TV show, you, you don't need any melody at all. Just a low note, some high things, uh, some drums, you're done. You know, anything else just gets in the way of people talking. You know, that's just pure mood setting. You know, if you're using it as a, a theme for the same show, you better have a melody in there. All you have to do is just, you know, watch. There's, there's a bunch of new TV shows out there now. Just watch those and look at how little musical interest is there. But there's still musical drive there. Everything's done rhythmically. Hmm. Do you have tips for people on like composing rhythms? Uh, composing rhythms? Mm, I don't have tips, man. Um, well, there's eighth notes. Those are good. I use a bunch of them. <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to start. I mean, you can talk about front end loading your uh, your measures or back end loading to give it like a like a push or a pull, and as in like having pickup notes into measures like kind of like when you're doing something highly militaristic you'll front end load like da 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 stuff like that and that sort of pushes things forward um and if you're doing something which is like spookier like you know you you'll you'll push the offbeats you'll push it you'll push the interest to the back of the measure um mm. I guess. I don't know. That's what yeah. I do. <laughs> that's that's good. I'm not a percussionist. I do not play one on TV. So I do have to quantize what I play, but I almost never quantize to 100% unless it's supposed to be like super electronica. Oh, you yeah. Know, you, you play it in, you play it in, and then you like smooth out the warts like enough to make it sound like you're competent, but not <laughs> so much to make it sound like you're a machine. You want... You want some of the imperfections in there to, to make it live. If you only had one instrument to make music with for the rest of your life, what would that be? Do I also have to make money with this instrument, or is it just for me? Uh, let's let's hear your answers for both of those. Uh, if I had to make money, the piano is probably the most versatile thing that can go and do all sorts of stuff. You can open it up and smack it with sticks if you need to. Um, if it was just for me and I didn't have to sell it, probably accordion. Hmm. They're also very... Um, versatile, but not as commercially viable. Yeah, it's I, I like the idea of accordion though, just because it's like a combo 
perfect combo of piano and like a wind instrument. Oh yeah, yeah. Now you get all the expression. Um, it's like a weird pipe organ slash clarinet thing. I don't know. There's nothing really yeah. like it. It's and portable and mostly portable. Yeah. <laughs> well, I was checking out your best of 2014 album. Okay. And I was wondering what makes you put one of your tracks on that mix. Um, I don't know. I'm not even sure what we're talking about. How long ago did I put that up? Oh, <laughs> I think it was on the Free Music Archive. Oh, Free Music Archive. Oh, I'm not sure that I maintain that. I might. Oh, okay. Do you have an assistant helping with that? Uh, I think somebody just started an account for me there. And then a bunch of people found me. So I'm like, yeah, we'll keep it up there. That's cool. Okay. Well, they... Their number one track that they picked, Aria Carmina, okay, um, was pretty cool. It's like funk and disco. Thing. Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, what is this? Three and a half minutes long. Okay, yeah, these stringed, stringed disco-y things. Yeah, that's that's one that uses like the horn section. And if you've ever tried to put a horn section into anything, you you know it's a pain in the ass because there's like no good saxophones available. I mean, you need a horn section to sound like a horn section. So, this one uh I faked it by just making the horn section sort of lo-fi in comparison to the rest of the bits. Hmm. Like the the strings sound really good. Which was, you know, that's what they did at the time. You know, they use real strings. So I've got real orchestral strings in there. So they they just haven't come out with a good saxophone sample yeah, not library? Yeah, not that I'm aware of. Okay. There's some like very specific y things, but it's just a, such a complicated instrument. And it's really intuitive to play it, like to get all the different tones, and, and uh, it's pretty varied in what it can do. And I, I don't even know how, how they would do that. It's like, you know, if you've got three axes of movement how would you sample that and crossfade between those and ugh, nightmare yeah. it's like you can you can pretty much do like the uh staccato berry sax okay we can do that that's one sound it's just honk honk <laughs> great that okay i can put a staccato berry sax in anything it's fine but yeah so, a soulful tenor sax yeah good luck yeah just hire a local sax guy there's no <laughs> No, no way around it. That that makes me wonder how how often do you use MIDI and samples versus recording live instruments? I think the only live instruments I have are the accordions. Um, oh, okay. Everything else is sampled. 
guitar even too oh yeah that's all sampled wow okay what uh guitar synths do you use oh there's a beautiful one out of china let me i can't forgot who they're called i think no that's not them um ample guitar oh okay they're beautiful they do all of the um string work for you it does the hammer-ons it does the pull-offs it won't play something you can't play on a guitar it figures out the voicing it figures out where your hand should be and you know it plays all the right strings and you and it's very easy to play in that's cool because i've heard from a lot of people that you know there aren't good guitar synths out there there haven't been no this is the first really really good one cool well, from a music business side of things, um, shifting gears. Sure. <laughs> uh, I was noticing that, I mean, your music is up on so many different sites. And I was wondering, like, what what do you do to make that process easier for you? Like, do you automate sending it to, like, SoundCloud, YouTube, Selfie. Uh, I noticed you're selling it on there too, and yeah. on site. Uh, yeah, no, it just takes forever. Oh, <laughs> because they and they all interlink to each other. So you know, you want to put the the buy button on uh, SoundCloud, but then you also want to link to SoundCloud from the. So you have a chicken egg thing. So everything has to be done in basically two rounds where one of the things gets set up and then you take all the links and then like cross-link them back to each other. It, no, it's just horrible. It, it, is, it's, it takes hours. <laughs> Multiplied by thousands of tracks. <laughs> well, yeah, but they were done over the course of 10 years, so that's a little, little spread out. Yeah, I suppose. When did you start thinking of doing royalty-free music a little more seriously, would you say, or... Was it just like a gradual thing? Yeah, it was a very gradual thing. I started putting my music up for anyone to take and use because I write music and music is stupid if nobody hears it. I mean, it's worth less than, I mean, it's just worthless if nobody hears it. So I put it on my site and people started using it. And then uh, Creative Commons started gaining some traction. So now I had a like codifiable way of. Yes, here's how to use this music. And then almost immediately people are like, yeah, I don't want to use that like that. He's like, I don't, I'm doing a radio ad. I can't credit you. I'm like, right then. Um, okay, I will, I will write up a new light. And then I, I mean, I did individual licenses for the first months, and I'm like, well, this is stupid. So I just wrote a script that would do the automatic licensing. Cool. So you're kind of in a unique position in that you're like the number one royalty-free music search yep. ranking. Do you think you would still uh, have the same philosophy if your music wasn't being spread so widely? Mm, I don't know. That's a weird. That's a, that's an interesting question. Would I have the same philosophy? Well, right now, it's almost annoying how wide it is. It's very weird to be me. 
because like whenever I go to watch a video on YouTube, it's like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, that's that's me again. There's, I mean, there's so <laughs> many. You know, people send me videos of you know cute cats, and it's like, oh yep, that that's me again. And like, who else in the world has this? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Where I just, it's like, oh yeah, hanging out at the train station. Yep, that's me sitting in the back of a cab. Okay, yep, all right, that's that's me. So, yeah, I suppose it kind of keeps you like on your toes. Like you don't, you wouldn't want to put out something low quality because you might end up having to hear it out in the world in a lot of places. <laughs> well, in theory, if it's of sufficiently low quality, nobody will use it. So that's good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> what advice would you have for people who do want to try doing your path? of like giving music away for free, not worrying about royalties. Um, would you recommend getting into it at this point? If, or is the market just so saturated that uh, I'm not sure I should be in it, <laughs> but if you write music and you want people to hear your music, yeah, do it. There's no reason not to. I mean, you will get fans the more fans you get, the more opportunity you have for them to support you. See, now, now, we're, now we're talking about uh, a few different things, though. You know, to me, something is successful, not generally if I like it or if I care about it, but if everyone else likes it. And so, you know, I do a fair amount of research to figure out what do people want. And that's about half the things that I release. And then the other half are, what do I want to do? And so there's a definite line between the self-satisfaction and the making money. And sometimes they coincide. Sometimes I'm like, well, this is useless for everyone else. But, you know, I find it interesting, so I'll release it. And then it turns out to be a hit. Like, well, didn't see that coming. Yeah. Huh. Do you find that you have different uh, processes for like doing music that you like versus what you think other people will like? Oh, yeah, abs- like absolutely. Your, like coming up with melodies or something. Yeah. No, I mean, just just setting up the projects, they, they look different. Uh, <laughs> the things that I like end up having like 50 instruments plus in them and then like the more commercial things that are like four or five it's like a basic template of yeah here, that genre here's, here's a bass here's some drums all right now let's make it something yeah ukulele need a need a ukulele yeah ukuleles are big right now yeah i was listening to your most downloaded pieces of music and like the first two were Pretty, yeah, ukulele heavy, (laughs) glockenspiel. Yeah, absolutely. When did that start becoming like the one thing that everyone uses in ads? Uh, I think that started with Apple about uh, six or seven years ago. And they had this sort of light, airy, uh, fresh-sounding, organic, fun things that... And the key to those pieces of music is nobody hates them. 
Nobody loves them, but nobody hates them. Yeah. Do you think that the ukulele and glockenspiel will... I mean, I'm guessing at some point they'll fall by the wayside, but... Yeah, as soon as... It's, what could replace it? As soon it. as somebody comes up with the next magic bullet, I don't know. I, I, I occasionally play a game where I have, uh, I have a file of all of the virtual instruments that I have, and then I just pick like a random number between one and 3,000 a few times and stick them <laughs> together and see if they work. And sometimes they do. Huh. Um, cool. So that may be how we find the next unobtrusive bullet. I don't know. What would you call that? It's like, it's like, the, it's like, the, one, <laughs> like the thing nobody hates. Well, yeah. Turns out it's bassoon and helicon. I don't know. What's a, what's a helicon? A helicon. It's kind of like a giant French horn, which is more. It's kind of like a like a tuba and a French horn had a child. <laughs> what part of the world is that from? Uh, I know it was big in uh, British military bands. It's a sort of a thing that you can play while on a horse, and still get really low notes. Huh. You know, prior to the sousaphone. Oh, sure. I saw there was uh, someone is making a documentary about you and your music. Yes, that is true. How's that been going? I don't know. It's not my documentary. It's just about me. They <laughs> <laughs> um, haven't even been interviewed yet. Um, they went out to uh, VidCon and interviewed uh, a whole bunch of people, I guess, and... I don't know if I'm going to be good or bad. Uh, I'm interested to see. You know, are there are there enough people out there who are pissed off at what I'm doing? Maybe there are. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, people are probably. Oh yeah, I'm devaluing music. Um, it's like no no one's buying stuff from my catalog because they can get your shit for free. It's like yes, they can. That is true. You can also offer your stuff for free, <laughs> and then they'll use your stuff. <laughs> that's uh i'm sure yeah I, I suppose you get a lot of hate mail maybe not hate mail but um surprisingly little actually um but i've seen discussions about me in forums and stuff so hmm. i might ask a few fan questions if you have time for i have time all right let's see at Haungong Gagni. I'm not pronouncing that right, I'm sure. He, he uh, sent a Twitter question. That was, did you learn all those instruments, or is it computer-assisted music? Yes and yes. So you, I'm assuming you use keyboard for... Yeah, it's, it's, keyboard, it's keyboard input. But um, hopefully you'll notice in the things that I write, they tend to be idiomatic to the instrument. And hopefully that comes through. And I also do a lot of practicing, you know, just doing flute technique on a keyboard, doing clarinet technique on a keyboard, guitar technique on a keyboard hmm. to get the feel of those things going down. Because just, just buying a really good virtual instrument will not result in anything good. Hmm. What could you tell people about, like, how you would play... A clarinet line on keyboard, for example, or like what are some techniques? Oh, clarinets are brilliant because they 
they're so fast and you can do such amazing jumps with them. There's almost no limit on what huh. you can do with a clarinet. But at that point, it's just all, you know, breathing and, you know, making sure that the, the lines can form and that you're not, well, no, clarinet can cut through quite a lot. Hmm. No, that one's easy. Clarinets are easy. What, what is one of the harder instruments um, to emulate? To, uh, guitar is actually surprisingly difficult. You've got to keep in mind what is possible. I mean, because you can, you can, you know, play like three notes that are just right next to each other on the keyboard. Very easy. Guitar is not going to happen. You cannot do that because you've only got one string in that range, you know? Yeah. Set drumming, I've always had a problem with because I just add elements in one at a time and then I end up with things that are impossible for a drummer to play. It's like, well, you're hitting the hi-hat and a tom and a cymbal. How many arms do you have? <laughs> Okay, how would a person actually do this? And you have to go through and sort of like unwind the piece. It's like, what are the important notes to have hit here? And then take the other ones out. What about like brass instruments emulating those on keyboard? Yes, emulating brass instruments on keyboard. Because um, I, did, I did play trumpet for quite a while, so that one's... I'm trying to say, like, how... It's like I can do it, I just don't know if I can explain it. You know, because... Yeah, you can do you can do a twelfth jump on a trumpet, but I wouldn't go back and forth very often. And if you're you know if you're going down, uh, it's unlikely that you're going to go from a high note to a low note that's louder. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know if I can explain that. Do you uh, do you play uh, with virtual uh, instruments? Yeah, I I do, uh, and. Yeah, I've been kind of learning that too, like the skill of playing a keyboard to make these instruments work. Yeah. I don't know why it took me so long, but I finally got a touch-sensitive keyboard, and that makes a huge difference. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sounds like a person now. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm I'm just working with Ableton Live and the studio packs they came with okay but there there's some decent sounding orchestral instruments in there so all right does that come with um who was a garretton um actually i just happen to have garretton also because i have finale oh okay so yeah those i use too yeah uh the harp is my favorite one in there oh, okay obviously a little bit easier to make sound real <laughs> <laughs> but the samples are really good so yep all right, another fan question here. At Spintoons, he uses your music in his Minecraft videos. And uh, he was wondering, what style of music is your favorite to write and listen to? Oh, man, I really like doing the, uh, the big orchestral stuff. It's fun to write. They take a long time to write those, so that's why there's not so many of them. But yeah, no, that's the stuff that I really like doing. Um, the horror stuff, that's that's always a problem. Because after you sit with a piece for like three hours and it's like designed to make you anxious, you're very anxious. 
and it's like, okay, I, I need to, I need to get up. I need to walk around. I need to, need to calm down. It's like, well, it's, music's doing its job at least. So, yeah. All right, at Roberto seventy eight asked, how difficult is it to compose so many songs in fairly short amounts of time? I don't actually know. I've been called a freak just because my production is really fast and I don't know anyone else who produces I mean when I started I think the first album I did took me two years but yeah now I can go through and score a half hour TV show in three hours Hmm. so I don't know how hard is it I don't know for me apparently I can do it you know I, I hear what needs to go in there and then I put it in there and then I move on it's like does it do what it needs to do yes Great. Does it do what it needs to do? No? Fix it. Huh. Do you have any tips for how you improve your speed? Or is it just I just like do it all it? the time. Just scoring. I just, you know, I'd like take silent movies and download them off the internet and just score them, like just front to back. And just do that over and over and over. And eventually you're like, aha, I know what this needs. I've done it before. Yeah. Paul Sampson asked, assuming a Beethoven symphony's length is unsuitable for royalty-free music, what's the longest piece you've done for such purpose? Uh, I've got a few pieces that are over half an hour. They tend to be the droney, relaxation-y things. People use them for hypnotherapy, uh, just somebody goes and takes a two-hour-long video of their garden wants something besides garden sounds and i don't know what a garden sounds like probably (laughs) birds or something yeah for those um i was listening to them a little bit in your 19 longest pieces okay yeah list do you with those do a lot of copying and pasting or is it like you sat there for over half an hour just improvising um those generally are made in faster than real time so what I'll do is I'll record for like two minutes, like if there's like chord changes and things like that, and then just take it and stretch it out over half an hour. From two minutes? From from two minutes, yep. And then just what? You know, play it in. <laughs> because I mean a lot of them are just like very long single notes, and so those are very simple. You've got a couple of harmonic changes throughout the piece. Just make sure that they all happen at about the same time. Stretch it out, fix it up a little bit, and then um, huh. yeah, no, you, I can I can do a half hour piece in about ten minutes <laughs> if I had to. <laughs> so that's just like playing. What would it be like? Sixteenth notes would then become almost whole notes. Oh yeah, absolutely. Or, huh. yeah, that is a thing that can happen, and it ends up probably being a little bit better that way. Because if you're improvising for a half an hour, you kind of forget where you are contextually in the melody. And then when you go back and listen to it, it's, it's, it kind of sounds disjunct. But the ones that you play in really fast, they all make sense over you know any length of time. Yeah. There's a tip. Write relaxation yeah. music. <laughs> well, one of your lo- super long ones, almost in F, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like 
I think I did not you use that technique in that one. I believe that was more of a piano solo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you said it was 36 cents sharp of F. Mm-hmm. And you also said there's a good reason for that. But you also said you wouldn't explain it. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> can you explain it on this show? Um, I believe that one is not using equal temperament. I believe that one is using a quarter common mean tone or six common mean tone tuning so that things are like the fifths are way better in tune than a normal fifth is in tune as in the natural closer to the three to two ratio. Yeah. do you play around with those different tunings i don't know a couple times a year percentage wise not very often i really enjoy them when things break like the minor sixth is horrible in a lot of those tunings and just to me just sound ah it just sounds beautiful to have (laughs) something that's so wrong but getting um you know, because you can tune one instrument that way, but getting all of your virtual instruments to be tuned that way, that, no, that's hard. That's very hard. I mean, you can kind of do it by riding the pitch bend, oh, but yeah. um, it's, it's rough. Yeah. I, I remember seeing someone talk about how microtonal music is going to be the the only new innovation that can happen in pop music, like pitches that are between their, our regular tuning system. Uh, but I don't know. I, I have trouble believing that the general listening public would ever buy into that. <laughs> that, is, that is true. If you look at pop music right now, it is not going to more complicated harmonic structures it is not going to more complicated melodic structures it's going to less i believe uh trap queen is a pentatonic if you're familiar with that uh no i haven't heard their trap trap queen oh it's a it's a song by somebody oh okay just but uh it's all very simple you want things that are easily repeated and things that are uh hummable you know there is a piece called Get Lucky. Are you familiar with that one? Oh, yeah. Okay. The Daft Punk? One. Yeah, the Daft Punk one. Yeah. That one is brilliant in that it has uh, its four chords in the verse and in the chorus and in the uh, bridge. And it's all the same four chords in order in every one of those things, even though they made a distinct verse, chorus, and bridge part. So by the time you get to the end of hearing Get Lucky, you've heard that 
20 times already. Huh. And so now your brain likes it. You only had to hear it once. You've got 20 copies of it in your head. This is a brilliant idea. And it's the, yeah, I do remember thinking that now, listening to it. So it is like just the same loop. It is the, right? it is the same, exactly. same guitar, uh, same accents, the, um, you know, the melody changes, uh, you know, but it is the same thing over and over and over again, which is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> they must have been doing that kind of as like a little inside joke or something or I don't a know. challenge maybe it, maybe it's a challenge maybe maybe they didn't have time to record more than 8 seconds of guitar I don't know <laughs> studio time's expensive man <laughs> yeah Def punk they're really hurting for cash too <laughs> <laughs> well let's see I have one other fan question here at pixel pixie dust asked how do you come up with all the different songs, and do you ever see parts of one in another? I'm going to start with the second part first. Uh, yeah, I definitely have a, a style. I can't tell you what it is. Uh, that's for other people to analyze and figure out. But, you know, people, people send me things and they go, okay, what's the name of this song? And I'm like, I don't know what the name of the piece is, but I probably wrote it because it sounds like me. Or I don't know what the name of this piece is, and I absolutely did not write it because it uses things that I never do. So I can usually identify my stuff. So therefore, there are bits that, that are uh, used in uh, multiple places. But yeah, I don't know what it is. And what's the hmm. other? What's the other part? Um, how do you come up with all the different songs? Oh, I haven't a clue. I I guess <laughs> I don't know. It, it might it might be uh, magic. I might that happens. Yeah. yeah, I think someone with the Twitter handle Pixel Pixie Dust will accept that answer. I think Probably. they <laughs> may be responsible for it. <laughs> Before we go, uh, maybe you could talk a little bit about your Patreon page and oh yeah, sounds cool that you're doing a a podcast, kind of like behind the scenes. Yes, and. Um, this this month is going to be a, probably a pretty long one because I've got a lot of music coming out this month and I talk about how they're put together, why they're put together. I think this month I'm even going to be talking about like music that's on the like the top top ten in the charts right now and why it's there. Hmm. You know why why does Watch Me? I believe why does this work? You know, what did they do to make this piece work? Obviously, it works better than a lot of other things. Otherwise, it wouldn't be, you know, number one. And uh, just sort of delving into uh, why those things work. Uh, so that's, you know, that's part of the, the research that I do for the music that I write is it's like people like to hear what they like to hear. So you've got to get out there and see what people are listening to in order to make things that they will also want to listen to. Uh, so yeah, you can donate. I think two bucks a month and get access to the yeah. to the podcasts. If you go to higher levels, you get like all the super uncompressed things with all the stems. This is a composer thing. Everybody knows what that means, right? Yeah. So you'll get like the yeah. drums separated out. If you want to mix without the drums, you just drag everything but the drums into your 
GarageBand, and boom, you've got a different mix. So that's pretty cool. Um, I was a big fan of Patreon. I enjoy being a patron of other people, so I figured people may be enjoying being a patron of me, but I do need to be a little bit more of a personality, so... That's a little hard. It's a little hard for a composer to have personality. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I did not expect to be a podcaster, but I kind of just tried it out and usually I don't have to do much talking, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So the the other thing I do on the every episode is I have a question chain going from composer to composer. And uh, I am just realizing I forgot to listen back and see which, what the last composer's question was. Um, maybe I forgot to ask him a question. So, um, anyways, I think I forgot to ask the last composer a question for you. Okay. Um, but to keep the chain going, <laughs> what question would you have for my next interviewee? Who is your next interviewee? Um, uh, it's a secret. It's a secret. Well, not really, but um, um, actually, no. The next interviewees are guys who make music for casinos. Aha! Um, so like slot machines and stuff. Yeah. Let me come up with an interesting question for uh, gambling people. Do you find it's easier to get like when you're doing like the the rollover the the high energy uh, version of the piece? Do you think it's easier to get more excitement out of purely electronic instruments? Or uh, can you still use uh, orchestral things when you're going to that uh, when you're going into that high level? Hmm. That's a good question. That have is you, a good question, yeah. Have you um wondered about that yourself, I take it? Um I've had difficulty with that. <laughs> I've never been able to successfully keep, like, get to that, like, super pumping excitement when you're doing that. Because, you know, this, the music is all layered, and, you know, when you, when you hit jackpots, you, you bump in another layer or two layers of music to, like, show people that they should be excited, right? And doing that all orchestrally, I find it to be very difficult. And if you do it electronically, it punches it up, but it kind of takes you out of the the feel of the game. You know, if you're doing a pirate game or something like that, and now you've got these blips and bloops in there, I don't know. Yeah, it's always been weird to me. Yeah. Well, uh, where I mean, well, where, Kev- where are, are they out of? Uh, are they out of New York? Do I know the guys? Uh, maybe um, they are in New York, actually. Um, they, I think it's High Five Games. Is there High Five Games? Is that Aldo and uh, John Roberts and those guys? Yeah. Oh, hi, yeah. Aldo and John. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's funny. Yeah, I, I guess um, John just reached out to me um, and told me about what he does, and I thought that was pretty cool. So that that is, by the way, hilarious. Funny coincidence. I used, I used to live with him when I first moved to New York. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. No, he's also from Wisconsin. Oh, weird. Yeah. Huh. Well. Small world. That's cool. Yeah. Very, very weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, was it like, uh, 
How did you guys meet? We met at an improv comedy troupe in Green Bay, Wisconsin, uh, about 15, 20 years ago. Hmm. And um, yeah, he moved out uh, to become a composer, and then there was a, an opening, and uh, I took it. He's the nicest guy in the world. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, I'm looking forward to that interview. Yeah. Well, now I need to come up with a better, yeah. a better question. I mean, it's, <laughs> now that you know him, <laughs> now, it's like now that I know him, I like, I'm pretty sure I've asked him that. And uh, yeah, actually, no, I had those guys in my apartment like four months ago. I was showing them how to do electronic music production for very specific things. So, oh wow, yeah, cool. Huh. Well, Kevin, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. All right, thanks for having me on. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Composer Quest with Kevin McLeod. If you heard a track you like, you can reference the show notes at composerquest.com Kevin. For all of Kevin's music, visit incompetech.com. And Kevin's Patreon page is patreon.com slash kmcleod, and that's spelled K-M-A-C-L-E-O-D. The question of the week is sparked by one of Kevin's comments. Is music worthless if no one hears it? Chime in at forum.composerquest.com. Now, it's time for another... In honor of Back to the Future Day, October 21st, 2015, we're going to do a little time traveling back to a past project of mine. In the summer of 2011, I traveled out to L.A. to visit my friend Brandon, who produces YouTube videos for a living. Seeing him and his friends working nonstop on their own creative project gave me the itch to do some crazy creative project of my own. I'd been wanting to learn more about music production, so I decided I was going to produce a new song from a different friend each week. I called it the Song a Week Sessions. Very original. Well, it's fun reading back on my blog posts because the start to that project sounded a lot like the start to Composer Quests. In my first post, I say that my fleeting desire for a full-time job is now out the window again. Right now, I think working nonstop on my creative skills is 10 times more important than saving up money. Yep, sounds a lot like Composer Quest. So through the song week sessions, I ended up producing 17 songs for my friends, and I learned a ton along the way. In this episode, I'm going to dig into week 15's song, In Transit, by Daniel Genstad. Amazingly, this was the first song Dan had ever written. Here's a sample of the final mix. Travel like a bullet wood, careening round your neighborhood, there's a train, there's a train. I learned pretty quickly in this Song a Week project that being a producer is way more fun when both you and the songwriter approach it from a spirit of collaboration. A good producer is much more than a button presser with expensive recording equipment. They can also help arrange instruments and even influence the underlying composition itself if the songwriter wants that kind of help. That's exactly what happened in the song with Dan. Since this was his first song, he was a little unsure of a few chords. So I brought out my guitar and we brainstormed some chord tweaks. I want to point out one of those chord changes we made that made a subtle but important difference in the mood of the song. Here's the initial guitar and vocal version of the chorus. Mm-hmm. 
Just a train wreck in a necktie Work myself right off the tracks Instead of staying on a plain vanilla D major chord for the whole line Just a train wreck in a necktie We decided to change the chord under necktie to be a D dominant 7 chord Just a train wreck in a necktie It's just a little more playful and a little more unsettled now there's no rule that each chorus has to have the exact same chords, even though it works in many cases, like Daft Punk's Get Lucky. But in the case of Dance Song, we were inspired to change up the second chorus with a D major 7 chord instead of the D dominant 7 chord from the first chorus. You'll hear that D major 7 under the line, I would muster. All the steam that I would muster Would like the dazzle of that luster to me, that major 7 chord makes it feel like we've reached some maturity in the song, like the end is coming. It feels much more deep and reflective than that first, more playful chorus. For comparison, here are the two choruses back to back. Just a train wreck in a necktie, work myself right off the track. But I'm suited for destruction, so there's no route for turning back. Those background ahs that you're hearing are a good example of different harmony recording techniques. For the first chorus, I gathered my friends Mitchell, Ryan, and Gwen to sing all together around one mic, Beach Boys style. I would assume that each of us would sing one harmony, like a barbershop quartet, and then record it a few times and layer them. But Mitchell pointed out that it's sometimes better to all sing one note at a time in unison, then record a new track with the next harmony note. That gives it a much richer sound for each note, because you have four different singers with four different timbres on each pitch. It's a technique that Queen used to use for their vocals. In contrast, during the second chorus, I had to change it at the last minute to a D major 7 chord, so I ended up having to sing each harmony part by myself. It definitely sounds more hollow when you have the same person singing each note. I think both methods can work, it's just a matter of what style you're going for in your song. One last thing to point out with this song, for the ending we decided to go with an instrumental outro trading off between whistling, electric guitar, and piano. One thing I realized is that you don't have to limit your solo sections to just one instrument. It can be much more fun if you let multiple instruments have a conversation. As long as you keep one instrument as a metronome, keeping the beat, the solos can be freewheeling rhythmically and still have a sense of drive. In this song, it's the constant kick drum beat that keeps this section moving, 
along with the entrance of the bass, which picks up the pace even more. Like I mentioned, Dan had never written a song before, and to my knowledge, he hasn't released a song since. He's probably been too busy being a visual designer at Google. If you want to hear more songs from him, though, you should bug him on Twitter, at Jenstad. That's spelled J-E-N-S-T-A-D. So before I play the full track, I want to mention that you can find all these music production lessons as their own sub-podcast at composerquest.com cmpl or just search for Charlie's Music Production Lessons in iTunes. Okay, here's In Transit by Daniel Jenstad. Of the city. 